Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast for this week. We are on the penultimate episode of reviewing every animated piece of Disney media on Disney+. Plus. That's right, we cover a couple of more movies here, basically the end of the alphabet, and then we jump back up to the top of the list and start watching the things that were added whilst I was watching this marathon. I don't even think it was a marathon. I mean, it's it's just been the movies I've been watching for months, literal months, to get to this point. Um, but we've got one more episode after this one, and then we're moving on to something else. It might just be a normal episode of the podcast. It might be another movie review. haven't really decided yet, but I'm really digging these movie review things. So there you go. But I did want to talk about a couple of things real quick here at the top, just because, you know, hey, it's still a podcast. Um, number one, if you like the podcast, please support it on patreon.com forward slash goingupcast. We have a $5 Patreon support. And you get access to uh, the uh, the the Temtem playthrough and my movie commentary tracks. And you can watch my failed Nuzlocke run in its entirety over there as well. Um, I beat Pokemon Snap in two days after it came out. It was pretty good. Um, if you like to, if you like taking pictures of Pokemon, there you go. Uh, I probably took anywhere between 10 to 15 hours. I'm not entirely sure how long it took me to beat that game. But it was good fun. And I wanted to beat it before Resident Evil 8 came out. Um, I have acquired all of the equipment necessary in order to stream from my PlayStation 5, including a camera and microphone. So I'm hoping to do that here pretty soon. I'm probably going to start streaming with Resident Evil 8, simply because that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and and see what happens there. So keep your eyes peeled at twitch.tv forward slash going up cast. Uh, used to be Morgancore, but I changed it to going up cast because that's kind of the new, the new tech banner I've put myself under. Um, so there you go. And I think that's everything I had to talk about at the top of this. It's already May. Can you believe it? Holy shit. It's already May. Time is melting through my goddamn fingers. Um, but there is that. Yes. Oh, also we started reading the Golden Compass, um, for, for the audiobook and that's, that's coming along great. And, um, I'm probably gonna just do the trilogy, but we'll find out. I might stick another book in the middle there. Uh, haven't decided yet. But you know what I have decided? My opinions on all these movies we're about to listen to. So let's get into it. Valiant has to be one of those movies where people go, what? When you open Disney Plus and you scroll all the way down at the bottom and you saw this movie called Valiant, you probably had the exact same reaction I did in that you had never fucking heard of this movie. Which is fair. Um, it is a... United Kingdom animated film produced by Vanguard Animations. Um, I think this is like the second movie to be animated in the United Kingdom um, or something like that. And they had a very small animation team actually working on this film, which could contribute to the general shittiness of the appearance of the film. Um, it does not look particularly great. The animation is a little janky at times. And none of the characters and sets or anything like that are particularly good. Where it makes up for that is in the clown car of talent that they somehow managed to get for this movie. Ewan McGregor, Ricky Gervais, John Cleese, John Hurt, Jim Broadbent, Hugh Laurie, Tim Curry, Rick Mayall, Olivia Williams, Annette Badland, and many, many others. Jonathan Ross is in this movie for some reason. It's an absurd cast, and Tim Curry's in it, and Tim Curry's the bad guy. So I was like, all right, all right, so there you go. It's about World War II pigeons. 
Which is true. I mean, in World War II, we did use homing pigeons to send messages back from the front lines because that's how homing pigeons work. Um, so it's 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 an accurate film, and even at the end of the film, there's like this this message being like, "Hey, thanks, animals that helped us fight and win World War II. This movie's for you." I wish we gave them a better movie, but you know they're dead now, so they don't really care. Um, it's a very by-the-numbers movie. You've got Valiant, which is the name of the fucking main pigeon, voiced by Ewan McGregor, who wants to be, you know, a World War pigeon. He wants to fight the, well, not the Nazis, um, but the Germans. Because they don't, they don't call them Nazis here, but they're Nazis. I mean, the bad guy's name is, what was the bad guy's name? General Von Talon, voiced by Tim Curry. So, you know, A-plus for that. Um, and yeah, but that's basically it. Mouse gets captured. It's, you know, it's the fucking, um, John Cleese, not mouse, pigeon, pigeon gets captured. It's fine. It's just like, I don't know. If, I don't know who this movie is for. If you want to see a bad World War II movie with bad animation and for some reason really good voice acting, then Valiant's for you. Outside of that, there's really not a whole lot here. It's not particularly funny. The music isn't very great. It's just kind of there. The animation's bad. The story's super by the numbers. Um, like, there's no surprise twists. It plays out exactly the way you think it would. Um, so this gets like a fucking 4 out of 10. I would have given it a 3, but I gotta give it a 4 because the, the class of the actors. Like, these are some of the... Some of the finest actors out there, especially Tim Curry. So yeah, it gets a it gets a four out of ten. It's it's fine, um, but it's not great. And it's yeah, it yeah yeah yeah. I don't think I'm I'm don't think I'm upsetting anybody here with my hard line stance on Valiant, but it's just fine. It's okay. You know who really, who really cares. Next one. Wally, 2008's Wally. I love this movie. This this movie is so fucking great because the two main characters barely talk, and and that it's it's phenomenal. I love it when movies show and don't tell. In case you didn't know, um, and this movie is that in spades. You've got a main character who can barely say his own name. And then he, he falls in love somehow, still. You know, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, this movie paints a picture that is more and more accurate as time goes on. We polluted the world to such a absurd degree that we had to leave the planet. We all get on this giant cruise ship and we float off into space. And we leave behind... Um, presumably there are, I believe we do see other, like, Wally units, but they're all busted and broken down, and this is the only one that's still functioning, right? And so Evie comes and is looking for plants, and Wally finds a plant, saying that the planet's habitable, and, you know, hijinks ensue. Some of the standout moments in this, in this movie for me, um, the relationship between Wally and Evie is fucking phenomenal. It's one of the best love stories Disney has ever told hands down bar none and it's even more impressive that they don't really talk but they still fucking care deeply about each other and i'm super fucking here for that it's adorable i love it then of course you've got the scene where he's got the fire extinguisher and the the engines of the ship is just cinematic magic it is gorgeous 
of a scene. Like, that scene right there is a goddamn 10 out of 10. The human characters are a lot of fun. Um, I love the, the, the wheel, auto, um, the, the whole idea of, like, humanity returning back to Earth now that's habitable. And then the credit scene, where it kind of works as an epilogue, showing, like, they're, they've got plants going and stuff like that with the Peter Gabriel song. Um, it's just, it's, it's a great movie. Um, it is, it's one of my favorites. So it's, it's right up there next to fucking up. I'm, I'm trying to think of if there was anything wrong with the movie. I don't think so. Um, no, I don't think so. A nine out of 10 feels right for Wally though. It is a truly spectacular film. Uh, just like up. And if you haven't seen it, then you are doing yourself the greatest of disservices. And you should probably watch it. Because it's fucking rad. Go watch Wally. It's awesome. Let's move on to the next one. Do you ever sit there and wonder to yourself, are there any, like, hidden gem Disney movies that I just haven't seen? Not like the straight two sequel ones. Like, straight up and down, like, full-blown Disney movies. Is there, is there any, any one of those I haven't seen? Well, I don't know your life, and I don't know um, what you've seen, uh, but I can promise you that The Wild is not one of those fucking movies. It came out... All right, so... Jesus. It came out a year after Madagascar, and it is shockingly similar to Madagascar. The Wild is like if you took Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda, Elements of the Lion King, and for some unfathomable reason, William Shatner, and shoved it all together and made it worse than all of those things. Like, all of... Like, I don't like Madagascar. Like, very much at all. I think I think Madagascar is one of the, one of the weaker DreamWorks movies. Um, I never paid attention to their fucking sequels. It was, you know, it was just, it was just whatever for me at that point. And the wild is not well animated. And it's about a group of animals that live in the New York city zoo. And one of their kids, like the lion's kid, he gets all fucking teenager and pissy. And ends up getting himself shipped off to Africa. And so the other animals pursue him to Africa. Where they discover a hidden wildebeest cult. Led by William Shatner. Who wants to take the wildebeests from prey to predator. And then the hijinks ensue. And then the movie ends. And I'm just sitting here being like. What the fuck. It's not good. It's not. It doesn't look particularly good. It looks fine. Like, it's not going to blow your mind and it's not going to win any awards with the way it looks. But it doesn't look terrible. Like, Valiant looked worse than this movie did. Um, although, I will say that Valiant had better animated pigeons than this movie did. So, there's that. It, it relies incredibly hard on childlike humor. So, poop jokes and fart jokes and all that shit. Um, it also relies really heavily on, like, stereotypes. Not characters, stereotypes. We'll encounter alligators in the, you know, in the sewers underneath New York City. That classic bit. And they have incredibly thick New York accents. You'll encounter, like, uh, 
what was it? Uh, Canadian geese have Canadian accents. For some reason, dung beetles are like fucking uh, Bavarian, like uh, um, like Germans. I don't I don't understand that one at all. But yeah, it's if if it's if it's not like one of the main five characters, which consists of a lion, a koala, which is voiced by Eddie Izzard. So that's fine. I like Eddie Izzard. Um, a giraffe, a uh, uh, the phrasing on the fucking Wikipedia page is dim-witted snake. So there you go. And then a squirrel that shows up later named Benny, which is the name of the fucking squirrel from Over the Hedge, which is another DreamWorks thing. But whatever. Um, it's It just reeks of ripping it off. I know they didn't because... This movie like came out a year after Madagascar, which means it was in production before Madagascar came out. You can't turn around an animated movie like this in less than a year. I mean, you just can't. It's it's not it's not possible. These things take time to make. I think Disney takes an average of like three years to produce a film. You know, so it was in production for a while before Madagascar dropped, and probably by that point they were like, "Well, fuck, it's too late now." Let's just put it out there and call it a day. The movie was not well received. And anytime the movie gets even close to like a competent story, I always love like, you know, like um, parent-child conflict stories that get resolved. You know, I think that's a good source for, um, for a decent movie. And if the movie does attempt those things with, with Samson, Kiefer Sutherland, and his boy, who's voiced by Greg Sipes, who I best know for being the voice of Beast Boy on the original and the remake, like, Teen Titan animated shows. Um, so I love Greg Sipes, but I was just like, I wasn't expecting that at all um, in this film. And yeah, every time they do that, it's immediately counteracted by, like, a fart joke or just some dumb bit, like, instantly. So it completely kills any emotional weight the movie has. It tries to do both things, but it goes with the dumb jokes way more than anything else. And, like... Alright, if we were to compare... I don't like Madagascar, but uh, you can't not see this movie and not compare it to Madagascar. Madagascar has better acting in it. Like, there's more charisma over there. Comparing the lead of fucking Kiefer goddamn Sutherland, who, on the kindest of days, is, like, lukewarm interesting to the kind of powerhouse comedy of Chris Rock or Ben Still, like, you know, like comedic actors who are, you know, good at what they do. It just doesn't, it just doesn't add up. Now, I hate the animated stylings of Madagascar, this weird, like, cubic thing. I never liked that. The Wild, at least, is attempting a somewhat realistic portrayal of these animals, um, like the giraffe looks like a fucking giraffe and not like a crazy straw somebody fucked up, you know? It's so, I don't know. Also, the soundtrack of this movie is obscenely dated. Like, even when this came out, like, those songs were old, kind of dated. Like, and not in, like, a good way. Just like, uh, hey, here's some, like, lukewarm alt-rock in this film. And for some reason, it's like, it, it happens a lot in the beginning and then... Like, I don't know. It, it it goes a lot of places. And it plays, like, the songs that you would expect for a movie like this to play. 
and you're not impressed by it. You're just like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, also, 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 this movie's dumb. So, what does it get? Like, right at the end of it. It rips off Madagascar, and it does a lesser job, and I hated Madagascar, so you know it's gonna be low. I love William Shatner, but I don't understand why he's there. I'm guessing he just needed money for a little bit, because there's nothing interesting about his character or this movie to justify that, but I could say that about all of these actors. Um, it has some of my favorites. You know, Patrick Warburton's there, he makes an appearance. Uh, Kevin Michael Richardson's there, and he makes an appearance. Like, it's got some, it's got some good people in it, but the movie just sucks. <sighs> is it unwatchable? Well, I suppose technically no, because I did watch the whole thing. I don't know why. Um, I think it's my soft spot for anthropomorphized animal stories, which I absolutely do have a soft spot for. Like, there are some of my favorite types of books to read are when, like, it's like a squirrel, you know, but then it's just like, you know, it's squirrel talks and stuff and lives in, like, a complex squirrel rodent-based society. I love that shit. I think that's adorable. Um, but I'm not reading Watership Down, so fuck that book. Um, yeah, I think when it's all said and done, I'm going to give it, uh, I believe this is the first movie to get this. I'm going to give it a one. It gets a one out of 10. And that is solely because I was somehow able to get through it, which means there was something going on. I'm not sure what it was. It might've been, I really liked the giraffe character. If I'm honest with you, some of their dialogue was super stupid, but I don't know. I just, I vastly, the different, the, the, the compare, I think that's the strongest, like, thing that makes this better than Madagascar, is that this giraffe doesn't make me want to die, and the David Schwimmer giraffe, Melman, or whatever the fuck his name was, was such utter trash, so, this is a better giraffe, that's it, that's the best thing you can say about this movie. The Wild has a better giraffe than Madagascar. They're both asinine, dumb movies. But if you want an animal-based adventure where it's a bunch of zoo animals going to Africa and then coming home with a better giraffe, then you get The Wild. Inferior pretty much everybody else, but the giraffe is better. So, thumbs up for competent giraffe making. Um, that is, that is, that's, I mean, it's... Uh, next movie. I'm going to do this a little bit out of order because I actually watched this movie um, not because of the list, but because I needed something to watch while I was building a puzzle like a couple of days ago, and it's fresh in my mind, so we're going to talk about it. Zootopia. Zootopia. Whenever I list like the the modern day Disney movies, for some reason Zootopia always like gets skipped, you know, I'll be like, oh yeah, you got Frozen and Tangled and Wreck-It Ralph, and then I start to fade away, and I'm like, Big Hero 6, you know, stuff like that, but Zootopia almost never, or Moana, I guess, but Zootopia almost never gets listed um, amongst my, like, modern day Disney movies, which is absurd to me now, because every time I'm reminded of Zootopia, and I go, oh yeah, Zootopia, that movie fucking kicks ass, I'm right, it does. Zootopia is fucking phenomenal. It definitely has more going on for, like, uh, an adult audience than some of these other Disney movies. Um, especially The Wild, which I just spoke about. Um, but fucking Zootopia is... I absolutely love Zootopia. I love this idea of this communal animal city um, with, with, with its, like, 12 unique districts. Because uh, to me, that is just fucking, like, either sequel or... 
or a TV show fodder. You know what I mean? Like, this could make an episodic show so fucking easily because it's a cop movie. It is a buddy cop movie. When was the last time, if ever, Disney's made a buddy cop movie? Gun to my head? I don't think they ever have. Like, Toy Story, maybe a little bit, but they're not cops. It's just a buddy film. Like, nothing in, in Disney's repertoire. I'm, like, scrolling through right now just to make sure I'm correct. Because, I mean, I've seen them all um, up until this point. I don't, there's like nothing there. A lot of buddy movies. A lot of buddy movies. No buddy cop movies. This is the first Disney buddy cop movie. And you've got uh, Jennifer Goodwin, who I know most from being Snow White in Once Upon a Time. So I absolutely love her. Uh, Jason Bateman, who, you know, classic comedic actor. Uh, a fucking slew of awesome voice talent. You got Idris Elba shows up. You got Bonnie Hunt. You got Tommy Chong, J.K. Simmons, Alan Tudyk, Shakira, of course, with the Try Everything song, which is a great fucking song. <sighs> I absolutely adore this movie. I love it to pieces. I don't know why it never really sticks in my head, but it's it's fantastic. So let's talk about the plot of the movie, because the plot of the movie is great. You got a bunny uh, who wants to grow, grow up and be a cop, uh, and everybody shits on her when she's a kid. Bunnies can't be cops, you know. Uh, you're, you're, you're too small and fluffy and all that stuff. You're, you won't, you won't make it as a cop kid. And then she goes off and kicks ass in the police academy and then becomes the first bunny cop. Thanks to a new, like, pray forward initiative driven by the assistant mayor Bellwether, who is a little lamb, just a sweet little lamb, just a sweet little, little lamb, voiced by, uh, Jenny Slate. Do I know you from anything? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. Parks and Rec. Okay, I never saw Parks and Rec. Um, and Bob's Burger. Oh, you've been in a bunch of shit. Okay, you're very popular. Cool. Um, I just, I haven't seen any of the things that you're popular for, so I apologize for that, Jenny Slate, but you did a good job as Dawn Bellwether. Anyway. Uh, so she becomes a cop, and she's doing her cop things. Everybody treats her like shit. Idris Elba's like, you're not a cop. You're a meter maid. And then she goes off and kicks ass being a meter maid and stumbles upon a fox who's buying a fucking elephant-sized uh, elephant pop or whatever for his little boy who is a, a fennec fox. Um, and I completely forgot about the fennec fox, too, because that... Uh, hold on, where, where's, where are you, fennec fox? Um, what was his name? That's the thing, though. I can't remember. There we go. Fennec. Uh, Tom Lister Jr. fucking killed it with that. Are you kidding me? That was, that was awesome. Oh, he's the president from Fifth Element. That's where I know you from. Excellent. Excellent. Anyway, so they do that, and he melts the pop, and he makes a bundle um, off selling it to, like, the, the fucking lemmings or whatever. <laughs> I get it. Lemmings are, they just do what all the other lemmings do. Um, also, apparently, it's a quick side note, apparently that whole lemmings falling off the cliff thing is bullshit. The, the fucking documentary crew, I don't know if this is true, but I think the documentary crew, like, just herded them off the cliff and filmed it. And we're like, look how dumb these lemmings are. I don't know. If that's true, that's horrible. Save the lemmings. I don't know if they're in danger. Whatever. Uh, and so, yeah, he, he does that. And uh, Judy tries to uh, solve the, the missing, like, predator case. There's, there's an otter named Emmett Otter who's missing. Um, and then uh, cop things ensue, you know. Uh, she teams up with the fox by extorting him at, due to tax evasion. Yes, this is still a Disney movie. Uh, they inevitably go off and break a bunch of rules, like uh, searching, uh, breaking and entering uh, without a warrant, 
uh, fraternizing with organized crime, um, all sorts of stuff. Like the the sheer amount of stuff they get into is insane. In order to uh, find out what happens to these to these guys, and um, they eventually find out that it's a big conspiracy to try and make predators um, like. <laughs> so, in case you haven't seen this movie before, it deals a lot with racism and classism and that's probably why I, I i enjoy the film because it it has the the stones to like really fucking go for it um because is it a little heavy-handed at times i i mean because like the line that always sticks out in my head when i think about this movie is as fucking uh, nick like leaning forward and being like oh there's a them now and i don't think that's too heavy-handed because it's kind of what it it, it it like that's what it is you know like racism is as an endemic problem in not just american culture but like all over the world this is a um a, a massive issue and i'm glad that disney didn't really pull punches because that's exactly what this is it is a predator versus prey sort of movie i mean it it doesn't end that way you know like they they do like reconcile and and figure out the the, the crime and are able to resume peace after that but for a lot of this movie there are some pretty intense um some racist uh you know subject matter going on in here the movie itself is it's not i'm not saying the movie is racist i'm saying the movie is discussing racism there's a huge difference um and it does a really good job of that uh and then there's just there's <laughs> there's like the scene of the dmv that always makes me laugh there's the nudist colony with the animals, which, you know, it's played for laughs, but think about it. This is a culture that's, you know, bred to appreciate clothes. That would be the exact same, like, of people, if you went into a nudist colony and you needed to t talk to somebody about information. And then once you start thinking about it in that context and you start thinking about the, some of the positions the animals are in, oh boy. Anyway, um, yeah, it's... It is a it is a wonderful movie. I don't think I'm talking about this movie very well, but I fucking love this movie. It's it's a really good buddy cop movie that tackles some incredibly complex issues. It has this incredibly rich, wonderful world. It is gorgeously animated. Like the bit if I think about this movie's animation, I always remember the rain hitting the glass on the train as she's like uh, riding into Zootopia for the first time while you listen to that Shakira song. Fucking aces 100 percent. it's awesome so yeah is the movie is it a perfect movie probably not um there aren't many elements i don't enjoy in this film um i think i think it's an incredibly solid film though i will i will say this is a nine out of tenner for me um do i i don't know exactly what's keeping it from from being a a, a top tier film for me but I don't think it's perfect, um, quite frankly. I do also uh, appreciate the relationship between um, Nick and Judy. Now, it's like, it would have been very easy to just go the straight, like, romance route with these two. It would have been so easy. It would have been very Disney. But they didn't, really. I mean, I know there's that bit at the end where they're like, you know you love me. Do I know that? Yes, I do. Like... There's that cute little exchange. But there's nothing in their relationship that would imply romantic feelings. They could just be really good friends. 
And I love that. I love the ambiguity of it because it's different. Because, like I said, it would have been incredibly Disney for them to be like, yeah, they're fucking, oh, we love each other. Um, that, that would have been far too easy for them to do that. But they didn't do that. They left it pretty ambiguous, um, which I very much appreciate. And that is one of the other reasons why this gets a goddamn 9 out of 10. Also, real quick shout out. The fact that Mr. Big is voiced by Maurice LaMarche, one of my all-time favorite voice actors. Hell yes. I love it when they make it into big movies like this and he's doing his his whole like, you coming to my house on the day of my daughter's wedding? Shit, which is A+. Plus. Fucking phenomenal. <laughs> 2011's Winnie the Pooh, which is, fun fact, the most recent traditionally animated movie that Disney has produced. It is more recent than Princess and the Frog. So this is the, as of right now, it's the last 2D movie that Disney's made. Um, or at least, like, a, like the big fucking studios made. And um, it's, I mean, what can you really say about Winnie the Pooh? This one has some familiar storylines. Um, it's basically a reboot of the franchise more than it is anything else. Like, it's not, like, different Winnie the Pooh stories. Uh, they're just reframed in a different way. Like, instead of trying to catch a fucking half-a-lump or whatever, they're trying to catch the, uh, the Baxen. Um, which is, which is new. Um, it's also the first time that the writing duo of Lopez and Lopez, um, worked with Disney on a movie uh this was two years before they would write the songs for frozen they also did like wandavision and stuff like that and they wrote uh remember me and coco um but yeah they they did this movie first and the music is in that movie is is pretty what you would expect from winnie the pooh it's very innocent it's very childlike it just makes you happy um as as it is with with most winnie the pooh movies uh the narrator in this one is john cleese uh, outside of that, the voices are more or less, um, the, the standard voices. I mean, you know, you got Jim Cummings as Pooh and Tigger, um, instead of, uh, Peter Cullen as the voice of Eeyore, it was Bud Lucky, um, who was a longstanding animator at Disney and also provided the voice for Rick Dicker, the, the agent in the Incredibles movie. Um, and I always loved that about, uh, Disney movies. A lot of the time, like, more often than I think people realize, the voice actors for their movies are people that just work at Disney, like animators or producers or directors, just providing the voice for their characters. It happened with Up, and Doug was voiced by one of the people who actually helped make the movie. It happened in Winnie the Pooh, where, uh, Rick Dicker animated for Disney for, like, 39 years before he passed away. And he actually voiced in a lot of things. Um, which I thought was great. And even one of the songwriters for the movie, um, I think her name is, what the fuck is her name? Um, one of the, one of the Lopez's, uh, is the voice of, um, Kanga in this one, instead of, um, uh, the, the, the traditional voice actress, uh, for, for her. Um, and I, th I think that's awesome. Like, you know, that animators and such can get, like, roles in the movies that they work on. Or songwriters, or, you know, I just thought that was really cool um, that they do that. I'm sure it's, it's like, less expensive for Disney if you do that, but it's also just really neat where it's like, you know, I helped draw this character, now I get to voice that character. I think that's neat. So, thumbs up for that. 
Um, as as a Winnie the Pooh movie, it's you know it's it's very good. It it achieves all of the things I would expect from Winnie the, the Pooh movie. Uh, the songs were good. I felt the pacing was fun. Um, which is a weird thing to say about a Winnie the Pooh movie. Uh, the only like it's not even really a downside, especially for me trying to like crank these out. Um, it's short. That's that's kind of like the air quotes worst thing I could say about it. It's like a it's like fifty three minutes, and then like. The last 20-ish minutes are just credits. Um, which isn't bad. You know, you're in and you're out. And you just had a fun Winnie the Pooh time. Um, it also made me laugh several times. And it's also been the source of a lot of memes. Like when Pooh squints at that piece of paper. That comes from the 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie. Um, which I which I was not aware of. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a Winnie the Pooh movie. It doesn't have the same nostalgic wonderfulness as the first movie, but it is the fucking closest one I think I've seen um, to that. It, it, it's basically... It's a remake of the first movie, really. It's just the stories are different. Um, and the first movie for me will always be the best Winnie the Pooh movie. But this one is pretty fucking good, too. So it gets a solid 8 out of 10 for Winnie the Pooh from 2011. A very merry poo year. Very crimbledimbo-poo-win. A, a very merry poo year. Um, I gotta be honest, I wasn't a super big fan. Um, I'm glad that I was able to ping that the narrator was fucking Basil Exposition from the Austin Powers movies, Michael York. Um, because I'm like, that sounds like that. I don't know what it is about this movie. It took forever to get through this movie. Like, it was so fucking slow and so fucking boring and it's barely over an hour long. It's 63 minutes long. But I, I don't know what it is about this film, but it just took forever to do anything and even when it did do stuff, it just bored me. Like, there's a difference between doing fun slice of life adventures and spending 25 fucking minutes trying to send a letter to Santa. Like, I, I'm like, oh my god, I don't know. I was watching that fucking time thing crawl along. It destroyed me. Um, so, honestly, I didn't really like it. It's probably the weakest poo movie I've seen so far. And you think that, like, a, a Christmassy holiday one... Because it also talks about, like, New Year's. Um, so it's not just um, Christmas, it is Christmas and New Year's. You would think I'd, I'd enjoy it more, but there's just something about it. The animation didn't really excite me. It looked like, you know, the, it looked like it was done in the 90s, quite frankly. Um, oh, maybe that's why. Okay. So, uh, hold on. It's the series finale of The New Adventures of the Winnie the Pooh, and it featured the 1991 Christmas television special Winnie the Pooh and Christmas 2, as well as a new film Happy Pooh Year. That explains why it looked like shit, because it was a goddamn special that was made 11 years before the rest of it animation. So that explains it, um, but I was still bored. So yeah, it's it's a rehash, apparently. I didn't know that going in. Um, it's got like the original fucking characters. It has Gopher, um, which I'm pretty sure this is like the second time Gopher shows up, because... He's not in... He's in the first movie. Um, and then he, like, vanished for me. Like, he's not in the 2011 movie. Um, he was in the Tigger movie? The fuck he wasn't. 
He was not in the Tigger movie. I did not see him. He's not in. He's not in most of them. Is kind of where I'm thinking, uh, which is weird. Oh, he's in Kingdom Hearts three. That's funny. Um, that is a that is pretty funny. But yeah, he's it's. I don't know. He wasn't in though. Anyway, I'm losing. I'm losing track of it. It's it is not the greatest Christmas movie, and it's not the best Winnie the Pooh movie. It's like a fucking five. It's probably the it's probably the worst Pooh movie I've seen. Um, and it, you know, it's not bad. But if you're gonna watch like a Christmas holiday movie, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas is is gonna do you good. If you don't want like a Christmas Carol kind of thing, just watch Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. That's probably just gonna set you up better than anything else could. So, yeah, five out of ten. Springtime with Rue. I bet when I like. First of all, no one's seen this movie. Second of all, I bet when nobody saw this movie, they weren't expecting an Easter movie done. It's a fucking a Christmas Carol with Easter. Is is essentially what it is. It's not exact, but it's pretty fucking close. And let me explain. So Rue is super pumped for Easter for some reason. And uh, for for the sake of this movie, it's just the egg hunting part of Easter, not the resuscitation of Jesus bit. Not a whole lot of Christian overtones in this particular film. Um, although there is a, a weird kind of off-color reference to Hanukkah. Maybe not off-color. Like, as Tigger is pulling out all the shit for Easter, he pulls out a dreidel and he laughs and goes, whoops, wrong holiday. Um, so I guess that's fine. But they're oh, super stoked to celebrate Easter. And they go over to Rabbit because, of course, Easter Bunny. And uh, Rabbit wants to do some spring cleaning. So they do some spring cleaning again and they're like, did he forget about Easter? And while they're cleaning, they find all this Easter shit and Rabbit gets super pissed and throws them all out. And then um, Tigger shows up and he's like, you love Easter. And the narrator's like, don't you like Easter? And the narrator for this movie is David Ogden Stiers, a Disney legend who's been in a bunch of fucking Disney movies. Um, and Rabbit's like, no, I don't love Easter. And so they go back in time, there you go, to the year before when they celebrated Easter and how dope that was. But Rabbit doesn't give a shit. Um, and then they uh, practice hunting eggs with rocks while Rabbit's still being a little pissy bitch. And then the narrator brings Rabbit to look at what next year will be. Um, next year's Easter will be, you know, and Rabbit's like, oh, this is perfect. Everything's clean. Where are my friends? And the narrator's like, your friends all left because you're an asshole. And Rabbit's like, no. And then they celebrate Easter. So it's a Christmas carol with Easter. That's basically it. I don't know why it's called springtime with Rue. When it's mostly about Rabbit. So it's a little weird. Um, that's the title of the movie. It also has very little to do with spring. It's mostly Easter. Why not just call it like the Easter I don't know. It's a weird one. It's not bad. I mean, it's probably... It's a little bit better than the fucking Christmas one, but not by much. I like it a little bit because it's like an Easter movie and there aren't many Easter movies. The only other movie that I talked about in this whole fucking series of Disney movies that was an Easter movie was the goddamn... Boom. Fuck. Ice Age. The Ice Age, The Great Egg Hunt. That was an Easter movie for some fucking dumbass reason. Um, so, yeah, there you go. But this, this one just kind of pops in and goes, Hey! We can do Easter... But since there's not really many Easter stories that don't deal with a giant rabbit or Jesus, let's just bring in Dickens into this. So, they did. 
And this is the end result. And it gets like a 5 out of 10. It's, it's fine. I mean, just, if you're going to watch Winnie the Pooh, the first one, 2011, and then for me, it'd probably be the live action Christopher Robin. I would say that would do, that would suit your suit you real good. All the other ones are just, it's just more of the same. Like, I would skip the Tigger movie. Piglet's big movie is where they're all just dumping on Piglet for being a shit. Christmas one's not very good. Springtime with Rue is just Dickens with Easter. The Half-Long movie's okay, but it's not the best. And Pooh's Grand Adventure is also just okay, but not the best. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. And with that, we have completed the list of movies. Because I've now spoken about all of the ones. Now, they have added things behind me. But I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking about it, and I don't care that they have. Um, I, I, I have ceased caring that new animated movies have appeared on this site that are behind me. So we're just going to run through the list of movies that are on this list that I don't care about. Jim Carrey's A Christmas Carol was added to this list after it started. I have no desire to see that. It's not that I don't like Jim Carrey. It's just that I have no desire to see that. So I'm just not going to. Could be good. Could be bad. I don't quite frankly care. Uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol is the only version of Christmas Carol I need. So therefore, I'm good. I don't even need this Easter one. Um, uh, what else was added afterwards? The Book of Life. Um, I'll be honest, I'm a little intrigued by that one because it's, I mean, um, a lot of people compared it to Coco, uh, when it, when it was like announced, um, or well, actually the book of life came out three years before Coco. So I'm intrigued by that one. I may watch that one. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. If I do, I'll just talk about it later. Um, what else is here? Doc McStuffins, the doctor is in a 23 minute like, for fucking preschool special was added on here. Not gonna watch that. Dr. Seuss Horton Hears a Who. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know the story. I didn't know that was a movie. So there's that. Something called Epic, which does look kind of cool. Um, so that might be, that might be neat. Um, Ferdinand was on here. It's about a bull. I believe the bull is voiced by John Cena. That's everything I know about the movie. Nomeo and Juliet. I don't even, I don't even want to know. Ugh. So... Oh, Isle of Dogs is on here. I heard that was good. That might be fun. But I might just watch these for me. You know? Like, but I think for the sake of this Disney list, it's done. Um, so let's, let's go to the wrap-up, I guess. Strike that. Uh, so I just watched The Book of Life. And, um, I mean... Comparisons to Coco become, you you want to do it. You, you're like, well, you know, both about Day of the Dead. Um, they both. Uh, that's it. Actually, that's where the, that's where the similarities end. They're both sort of kind of about the Day of the Dead, and they're both about. Actually, you know what? It actually does get more shameful than that because they're both about the main character wants to be a musician. But the family doesn't want them to be a musician. So, two major similarities. And I know what you're all thinking. Who's at fault here? Well, Book of the Life came first. And it came out three years before Coco did. So, kind of looking at you, Coco. Now, Coco has, 
like a straight up and down villain, right? It's got, what's his face? Ernesto de la Cruz. Um, this movie doesn't really have a villain. It's got like adversaries, but even, um, even like the, the, the fucking Ron Perlman character. What was, what was your fucking name? Hold on. The Book of Life. Um, even Ron Perlman's character, who was like basically Hades, I guess. Uh, for those who don't know, Zabalba, um, the ruler of the land of the forgotten, didn't really do anything too, like, you know, he, he caused problems, but he wasn't a villain. Like, he wasn't so much against Manolo, he was just kind of there. But, I imagine many people listening to this podcast haven't seen this movie, and I did enjoy this movie a lot, so let's talk about this movie. It starts off with these kids going to a museum on a field trip, and then they're led into, like, this other room of the museum, where Christina Applegate tells them, uh, the story of three kids. Manolo, who was performed by Diego Luna, uh, who most people probably know from being in, um, Rogue One, but apparently he was also in this and can sing really well, which is nice. Um, Maria Posada, who was played by, uh, Zoe Saldana. Uh, who I absolutely adore. I love Zoe. She's fantastic in everything I've ever seen her in, which is a lot. Um, and Joaquin Mondragon Jr. played for some inexplicable reason by Channing Tatum. That's that's a casting choice I don't quite understand. Because pretty much everybody else in this movie is like, you know, I don't know. Channing Tatum sticks out like a sore thumb. Like, I don't understand his presence in this movie at all. But that's fine. Um, it doesn't really matter. And it's the classic, like, you know, the two dudes love the chick and, you know, the, uh, they want to, you know, one of them, they both want to marry her basically. So the ruler of the land of the remembered, who is La Muerte, uh, played by Kate de Castillo, uh, who, or Kate del Castillo, uh, who, uh, is very popular in telenovelas, but I don't recall ever seeing you in Earth. No, I don't know. Anyway. Um, but she's in the movie, and she does a great job. And so, uh, La Muerte and Zavalba, played by Ron Perlman, because, hell yeah, he makes sense because he's got that villain voice. You know, it makes sense to cast him. I don't know what's so great about Channing Tatum. They're just a dude. Like, their voice isn't particularly recognizable. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, they, they make a bet on who is going to marry Maria. Because, you know, that's how that works. Um, and uh, Zavolba does some mischief to give Joaquin, like, this medal of immortality. And then we skip forward, like, 30 years. And Manolo is a, is a bullfighter. is a toro. Um, but he doesn't um, uh, want to be a bullfighter. He wants to be a musician. But his family are like, nah, you got to go kill some bulls. And... Maria finally comes back after uh, learning to be a, a lady in Spain or whatever. And, um, you know, she sees this bullfight. He doesn't kill the bull. Everybody boos, but she loves it because she's, like, anti-animal cruelty because she's got a brain in her head. Um, and then she he sings her a song, which brings me to probably the, the biggest issue I have with this movie. And it really does hit or miss. For some inexplicable reason, they decided to adapt pop songs of the day in like a mariachi style that completely tonally throws me out of this movie. The first time I recognized this was happening, it's a fucking Mumford and Munn song, Mumford and Sons song called uh, I Will Wait, which I do love. I love that song. 
And I guess, you know, lyrically it makes sense for that scene, but it's just, it's just, it doesn't feel right. It feels better than if they just played Mumford and, uh, Mumford and Munns, Mumford and Sons, God damn it. If they just played the song, like, over the movie, it does feel better than that. It feels more integrated because it's like, at least musically, it kind of fits the tone of the film. But it, it's so bizarre um, that they decided to do that. A couple of other songs that they did this with was fucking Creep by Radiohead, which, again, they adapted so it fits tonally with the movie, but it's still like, what the fuck? Why are you doing that? Especially, it, it is it is more irritating than it's not because there are original pieces in the film. Like, they did write original music for this movie, so it's not like they went this route to save money. They still wrote original songs with fucking Paul Williams, of all people. Paul fucking Williams. The guy who did the music for Muppet Christmas Carol. It's it's flabbergasting to me. Um, and the other person he worked with was Gustavo. Oh, boy. I'm going to butcher that last name. Um, Santa Lolaya. Lola, Lola, I don't know. This other guy. Um... And they work together to adapt to these songs. So, woohoo. Um, it, it, it does, some of them work, like Can't Help Falling in Love, which was an Elvis song. I loved that moment. Um, I think I Will Wait is fine. There is no situation acceptable. It is played for laughs, which is exactly what it's for. But anytime you bring in fucking Just a Friend by Biz Marquee into your movie, I just can't help but sit there and be like, really? You want, you you got what I need. Anyway. Um, and it's sung by Cheech Marin. Uh, because of course it is. Anyway. So they did that for some reason in this movie. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But it, it was a really weird move. It, it, it's, just, it's just weird to me. Anyway. So there's that. And he sings her song and she fucking, she loves it. But, you know, she's like, you're going to need to do more than that. Did you think it was going to be this easy? Because she's super fucking capable in her own right um and you know it's she's not gonna be wooed by a single song what who do you think she is anyway um and then Zabalba sees that he's gonna lose the bed so of course he interferes because he's a little butt uh the closest example he, he like design wise he reminds me a lot of um the bad guy from princess and the frog whose name i can't remember uh there's a lot of similarities there it could just be the color green that's striking me but there's like you know tall skinny long faces I think he had a hat. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, and so he has his two-headed snake bite Maria once, which puts her in a trance. Um, and then uh, Manolo, thinking that she's dead, um, wants to go to the day of the or land of the dead. And so Zabulba kills him. And he goes down and meets his whole family. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, fun characters down there. Uh, some notable actors in that scene are Danny Trejo, who plays his grandfather, and Placido Domingo who plays his grand-uncle, apparently. And if you don't know who Domingo is, he is one of the greatest operatic singers of all time. And his presence in this movie was adorable. And I loved it. And it, it kind of blew my mind. Um, he's no, he's one of the, the three tenors uh, with uh, Pavarotti and uh, Correas, uh, who is the other one. Um, and they are just, they're just fantastic. Um, but for some reason, Domingo's in the movie. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, that was uh, that was interesting. And, uh, you know, he, he sings and it's great. 
outside of his amazing voice, I don't know anything about Domingo, but it was fun to see him there. Anyway, um, so they do that, and then uh, Manolo decides to go find La Muerte and be like, you know, you're you're because uh, La Muerte and uh, Zabulba are fucking married or whatever, and he's like, your husband cheated. And in order to get there, I had to go to the Cave of Souls, and he beat a maze, and he had, and ends up meeting this guy called the Candle Maker, who is voiced by Ice Cube for some reason. And uh, Ice Cube helps him get to La Muerte. La Muerte is fucking pissed that her husband cheated, and so the husband, you know, they do another wager because of course they do. Manolo's like, "I'll beat any test you give me," and so uh, Zabulba makes him fight. I keep calling him Zabulba, like the fucking Phantom Menace guy. Um, it's Zabulba. Balba. That's Zabalba is how you actually pronounce it. Anyway. Zabalba makes him fight every bull that the Sanchez family had ever killed. Which is kind of twisted. And then, of course, he, you know, music soothes the savage beast. He lulls the beast to, to peacefulness with a song. Wins the bet. Goes back up top where uh, he arrives just in time to stop um, this other guy who, again, is barely a villain. Um... What the fuck was his name? Shakal, the Bandit King, voiced by Dave Navarro from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. For some reason, um, he does a good job. Uh, you know, it's not that he doesn't do a good job. It's just I'm like, really? All right, that's for whatever. Well, I know. Also, Gabriel Iglesias is in this movie as one of the like mariachi guys, and I love Gabriel Iglesias, so that's fun too. Anyway, they fight. Um, and then through some, some quick thinking and some fun stuff, they eventually de- defeat Shaka, and then Manolo marries Maria, and it ends great, and the candle maker's like, go write your own stories or whatever, and then the movie's over. The movie's great. Outside of the two things I said, right, it deals with the Day of the Dead, um, and there's a lot of stuff where that, you know, living person goes to the Day of the Dead, needs to leave the, the land of the dead, or the lo- land of the dead, and he needs to leave the land of the dead. He's a musician, family doesn't want him to be a musician, and the villain is killed by a bell. That's that's the other thing. Fucking Chakal explodes inside a bell. It's kind of egregious. Like, there are too many similarities for me to not go, wait a minute there, Pixar. Wait a minute. Because it's the bell one that really got me. Like, the idea of a musician doesn't want to be a musician, that one's pretty apparent, too. But it's really the bell kill that got me. And I went, wait a minute. So. Now, apparently the idea was first pitched in 2010. They had begun working on the animation in 2016. Two years after this movie came out. I, yeah. So. Yeah. 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 I'm calling it out. Because there's no way they didn't know. I refuse, point blank, that they didn't know. You you have to know. It, it doesn't make... Like, I don't think it reduces Coco from being an amazing movie, because Coco is an amazing movie. But it should be stated that this one came first, has a lot of similarities, and is pretty fucking good, too. Like, I think I almost prefer this movie a little bit more, because it's got a fucking love story, and I'm a sucker for love stories. Coco didn't have a love story. Coco was much more about family. Which, again, is wonderful. So they're both excellent films. One isn't necessarily better than the other, honestly. They both have really good things going for them. The animation of this movie is also really cool. The vast majority of the time, the characters are are designed like um, 
like wooden figures. They have like visible joints and they're all like carved from wood in order to have this very interesting um, like movement to them. There, there are a few like actual air quotes people in the movie, but they're just part of like the framing of the narration, so you don't really see them all that often. It's mostly just this really neat art style where like the faces are like almost two dimensional, so you see like both of their eyes and their noses on like one side, almost like a Picasso painting. It's really fucking creative and really cool. Um, the music I said is you know it's a little weird, it's a little hit or miss, but it's still done really well. And any movie where the actual voice actors of the characters also provide the singing voices for those characters. Gets an instant thumbs up from me. Diego Luna and Zoe Saldana actually fucking sing for their characters, which is hell yes. Absolutely. I love that shit. Um, I'm always a big fan of that because a lot of people can't sing. And if you bring in, you know, a voice to sing, then, yeah, I know, it just bums me out. It doesn't surprise me that this movie, I mean, I, I think it's surprising after seeing it that this movie didn't do well in the box office. It technically bombed, but critically it did okay. It was like 83% or something like that. It's... It's pretty good. There are a couple of things that keep it from being, you know, this incredible movie. Um, but I don't think I'd be so out of line by saying this movie gets like an 8 out of 10. It's it's very, very good. And um, if it wasn't for the fact that the book or the movie is now owned by Disney and they have Coco, I would love to see a sequel to this. And there was a sequel in the works back in 2017. But I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that it's dead. Because Disney bought Fox. Disney probably sees this as a competition to its Coco stuff. Which it absolutely, like, shouldn't. You know? Because it's... While it has a lot of similarities, you you, you have a richer... You, you've got more characters. And you've got, like, more going on. And honestly, if this fucking... If this had a sequel and it hit the mainstream, people would love these characters. Like, Maria was awesome! I absolutely love Maria. But it's never gonna happen. And that bums me right the fuck out. It's really good. Just do me a favor and go watch it. Because it is it is really worth seeing. The art's really cool. The music will just baffle you. But it's, it is a lot better than I expected it to be. A lot better than I expected it to be. And you know what? Since I've already watched that one, I'm gonna watch all the other ones that are on the list that got added. Um, I'm already in it, so we might as well we might as well do it legit. So I'll just keep going, and I will see you all in the next one, which will probably be the final Disney movie review episode. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>